Good evening, primetime partiers. It's primetime party time. Welcome back to our hour of all things media and entertainment. Live on the air at 9 p.m. at ptptshow.com and on your time, wherever you stream podcasts. Tonight, we are going to dive into something even more meta than usual. Shows within a show. Truly the turducken of television. Daniel and I will go through our weekly toasts and roasts before rounding up some of the standout shows within a show. Even though this might seem like a out there concept, you're probably more familiar with some of these shows within a show than you might think. I was surprised. I am doing well, Tracy. How are you? Good. I was surprised how many of these there actually are, though it seems obvious in hindsight. We'll get to them in a bit. Uh, first off, what is your toast? What is your roast this week? Yes, there are. There's so many of these fun shows. I'll about that in a bit. But for toasting and roasting, my toast is also television related. I rewatched the show Greek, which was originally on ABC Family. I found it to be funnier and more ahead of its time than I thought, which is not something you always say about shows from that time that you know, live in, I think like the main thing is there's a lot of shows that truly jump the shark when they go into the college era. And this one is only in the college era and they do it in a pretty good way. I feel like the characters stay interesting. The like fight, makeup fight, but it's not extremely predictable. You do have to live in this like fraternity sorority world, which as you get older, you're like, Oh wow, that was a while ago, and mm. I wasn't in that. But just you know, the fact that that exists, <laughs> right? It, it does start to go like college was not yesterday, even though it feels like it was. But yeah, there's a lot of good actors on that show. Um, love interest from Amazing Spider-Man is on there. Um, the guy who plays one of the main love interests slash main characters was also on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, watching later, Olivia Munn guest starred and Charisma Carpenter guest starred. I was just more like, I didn't realize it at the time. And then I was looking at it now going like, wow, this is like very much uh, kind of like teen show don't get me wrong, which uh-huh. I kind of have a soft spot for. Um, they do have some like pretty funny jokes every once in a while. And they, they specifically give some good writing to, they have like this pair where it's like, they have this guy who kind of plays the nerdy engineer that joins a super party fraternity to kind of open up. And then his roommate is this like really like from the South conservative Christian guy and they kind of just bounce off of each other and banter. And it's it's pretty, they give like the really conservative roommate some really good singers. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, they give some good writing. And like, they also have some touchy-feely moments as well. Like they really cover a lot of gay relationships really nicely. So especially for when that show was airing. 2007 so, or 2011, I'm reading. Yeah. yeah. So... It would, it's definitely, yeah, I watched it now and it kind of ages up well. They still tackle some issues that like, I think still happen with like young people going out and like, you know, they talk about girls testing their drinks if they get roofied, Mm -hmm. you know, they have like the gay fraternity brother getting accepted by his house and kind of the journey into doing that. Mm -hmm. They kind of have the religious person like kind of accepting him as who he is as well after a lot of like conversations so there's some parts that are very like heartwarming and then there's some parts that are like kind of slapstick comedy and parts that are very teen love triangle so that was my toast it's it's a fun revisit so i recommend it if you have hulu and you're into that kind of jazz um the my roast even though it's kind of a toast once you complete it that it did take me and my mom, who lovingly helped, five hours to assemble my Bjorksnas IKEA dresser. Oh, yeah. Really thought it would be a like a two-hour job. Yeah. Tried to make plans later, then was like, "Yeah, guys, I'm not seeing the seeing the sun set." Yeah, I, no, you almost I had to take a meal dresser. break. That's crazy. Yeah. No, it was. 
it was difficult because you had to first assemble all the drawers and then the outside. And then you kind of had to make these sliders attached in every which way and then slide those in and have them all line up. And it's kind of like if one thing's off, you got to take something out and hit it with a mallet, put it back in. So that was a, that was a test of patience and character as all Ikea assemblies are. It's very much the trial you have. Like, can you do this? Yeah. And how are you enjoying your uh, dresser that I would, I would honestly fabulous. In? Like I filled it as soon as it was done. I was like, I can finally unpack this stuff. It has a place. It's great. It matches my bed. I have like a really nice, like Zen theme in my room nice. of like bamboo slash light wood. Like before my stuff was all like mismatched of like, what did I get on Clarence on, you know, circle deals <laughs> at target. And also I have still have some of that stuff, but they're more like sectioned off in my new place. And like these things go together. But before it was just like a mishmash of like, it's all here, all of it. <laughs> so Theme delivery nice. rooms are nice. Those, those are worth a toast on their own. Yes, assembling the rooms. Now, what is your toast and what is your roast? Tracy, do you like birds at all? Do you do you like have ever have you ever had the inclination to possibly go bird watching or or you know, learn more about our feathery friends? I shouldn't say this in respect to all creatures. I dislike lots of birds. <laughs> I call I call pigeons the rats of the sky. Yeah, that, that, um, I'm, sure, I'm sure they're not offended by that. I'm sure I'm not the only person who said that. I did see, like, uh, according to my brother's girlfriend, friend of the pod, um, really loves birds. And I respect that choice. It is a choice. And <laughs> <laughs> she saw on, like, our fence this, like, I saw this like giant bird and it was like a she's like that's a red-bellied hawk and I was like hawk <laughs> my mom was like let's shut those doors we better lock up and then she's like no no I gotta get a picture and I was like oh we feel differently about this so yeah I, I'm not I'm not as into the plight of the birds that's it. So how does this lead into your toast? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I might I might agree with your friend here. Um, you know, I've oh, I've always kind of yeah. like thought about, you know, going bird watching. Never have. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I could, maybe I will. Uh, but birds have always kind of been in the peripherals for me, and I think that they're interesting enough. Uh, I quite go. like them. Uh my parents have two, so I'm particularly oh, fond that's of true. Senegal. Uh, parrots and pineapple conures but you know I've, those I've, are pretty birds they're nice yeah and and i've read a couple books you know the genius of birds the singing life of birds and i found one uh book down at my parents house this weekend while i was visiting them that is my toast and that you might be able to toast to uh as Ooh. well it's called the mincing mockingbird guide to trouble birds written and illustrated by matt adrian uh, it takes a bit of a different approach, and I'll just kind of read the insert here to kind of give you the tone of this book that I found. Oh, the Mincing yes. Mockingbird Guide to Troubled Birds, an illustrated pocket field guide that enables anyone to quickly identify psychotic, violent, or mentally unstable bird species. Written this in is non <laughs> Written in non-technical language for the layperson, it describes where to find and where to avoid the most seriously disturbed North American birds. Throughout the book, you will read tales of murder, assault, mental breakdowns, obesity, drug abuse, and infidelity among these birds. This guide, while ignored by leading orthonologists, is used and recommended by law enforcement agencies worldwide. This is hilarious. <laughs> I feel like these are a lot of the birds I encounter, in which case I have a certain... You know, it's I have... I have a dual sided view of birds because like when I see like blue jays and like hummingbirds, I'm always like, what a nice tranquil experience. And then when I see a seagull fly away with like my box of crackers, I'm like, you dirty creature. <laughs> and I have to recommend this to you. Uh, as it finishes out, we are only just discovering the reality of our avian adversaries with the reptilian brains, their appetites for mayhem and the fact that they fly mostly to spite us. To ignore the wow. information found within this volume may be at the peril of your own life. Uh, yeah. Matt Adrian, I believe, Hilarious. is his name, otherwise known as the Minting Mockingbird. 
and if that, if if you are like Tracy, uh, or if you are Tracy, I highly recommend um, that if if you ever <laughs> want to know more about, uh, it's it's a good time. It's a really good time. Um, this is hilarious. As far as my roast goes, uh, we do this show on Apple computers. And I'm looking at uh, new ones because I think it's no secret, possibly, that uh, this one, uh, right now broadcasting, is old enough that it could be graduating fifth grade in two months. Um, So while I'm on the market looking for new ones, I do have to roast that Apple doesn't give you a keyboard with a number pad on it uh, when you buy a new computer. And I feel like when you're buying hardware that's like upwards of a couple thousand dollars, it's it's not a lot to ask for. In fact, I I find it insulting. So so they leave the whole top row blank? Oh no, the uh, the the kind of like side pad, you know, like oh. the extended keyboard. See, I'm showing Tracy oh. right now. It's like the mini. I think oh, it's even they called don't the give mini. you it's that. Not full. No, they give you this, but they don't give you the full keyboard. That's what I mean. Like they don't give you the yeah, rest the, of it. The rest they of the only keyboard. Give you the small. I've got like two thirds of a keyboard. They when give you, buy you the a computer. excerpt yeah. of the keyboard. This yeah. is ridiculous. I I agree. It's insulting. I once so I have like a work computer and a personal computer, and they're both Macs. And every once in a while, I'll trip out and type, and I'm like, why is my typing just slightly off? And it's because I always forget that I'm on, like, a British laptop, so the things are just slightly different. It's not, like, that different, (laughs) but the layout is just a smidge different, and, like, the keys, I think, are just not spaced as well, because I'm a pretty fast typer, so a lot of times I'll go, like... And then go, why Why did I make the same mistake? And then like, ah. I'm going to do a deep again. dive into the difference between a British yeah, and... Yeah, that, do it. Really and I used to have keyboard covers when I took Japanese classes to like really get me to write in hiragana and katakana on my keyboard. Like you can switch the languages on your computer. So then you kind of have to type out the letters and then they pop out in the other language but it is nice to have it just be directly like i click this and it's this so yeah different keyboards are are a opinion of sorts but it's just weird with macs like they're so expensive you think you should get you know why don't you get a spare charger when you give them this large bag of money yeah (laughs) for all these things like it's always like you get the bare minimum and they're they're like yeah and if you don't realize it it's wrong in x amount of time sorry about it replace it for 80 dollars. and do you notice like a lot of the replacement fees seem to be at like a nice everything costs between 70 to 80 dollars i'm always like this has to be a number correct for specific reason mm-hmm. like what is what is this covering because mm-hmm. it's always like the screen replacement was always the same amount i remember this from before their technology improved and before they got this. those glass screen protectors i have shamefully uh cracked a, a few phones that i had to go shamefully bring in and be like ouch this oh. hurts financially <laughs> this hurts emotionally and I do recall one time they thought I was insane because I went like near closing and they're like, so we'd have to keep it overnight and you'd have to pick it up in the morning. And I was like, that's fine. They're like, really? You can go the whole night without it? And I was like, do you think I shouldn't be able to? Are you upset that I'm not <laughs> I mean, as toxically associated to this? I was like, I also have a computer that I can iMessage off. You guys should know your products. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, I mean, I've actually had some fabulous moments at the Genius Bar. I've had some last, less than fabulous ones, too. But I'd say in the majority of the time, I found some people who are like, we'll make this work for you. It's fine. It's fine. Don't. I saw you that you're, uh, saw you that your Apple Care expired two days ago, but we're going to pretend that didn't happen. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of shout out to the nice people at the Genius Bar. Not shout out to the people who said they repaired my other work laptop and just didn't just didn't just no the display light went out and i sent it in and they said we fixed it and then i looked at it i was like still broken 
Okay. Uh, well, d- differing levels of, of care here. I, in, a, in a roast that uh, expanded a little and, and found yes. some redemption and, and then didn't. And then, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll keep you, you know, posted. Though. Yeah, mixed feelings. We love Max. We also get fiery about them. Probably expanded more than we needed to. But you know what? We have strong feelings here. Strong feelings about our Max. Next on Primetime Party Time, shows within a show. So, figure we'll probably describe shows within a show um, first, yeah. which is, I guess, to like the, the let me know if there's a better way to say this here. Uh, but it's like a, a fictional show produced and aired strictly in the universe of like a greater TV series. Here, uh, it, it's for the characters of that universe to consume and interact with at times. Uh, oftentimes, we'll just get snippets of these shows through the eyes of, of the characters uh, that we watch in our favorite shows and our favorite series. Uh, I saw that you made some notes on the history of shows within a show tonight. Uh, Yeah. I'm interested in that. It's a fun fact. So I was looking around and thinking about where else have I seen this concept of a show within a show. And amongst my Google searches, um, I found this article on tvtropes.org. And they rightfully pointed out that it's something that comes from theater, which actually, if you've watched enough plays and musicals, you know that a lot of them take place where someone is actually like pursuing entertainment industry. So that makes it become a natural thing. Mm -hmm. But if we're looking even further back at Shakespeare, they have the murder of Gonzago in Hamlet, which overlaps, and they have a play staged by Fairy Spirits by Prospero for his guest in The Tempest. They have the Pyramus and Thisbe play rehearsed during A Midsummer Night's Dream and performed at the end. And the entire play of The Taming of the Shrew, the story about a man who marries a shrewish woman and tames her, is actually a play within a play. The play opens with a framing scene in which actors are summoned to put on a play. And then there's also musicals. If you think about like the producers, that's a Mm -hmm. very easy example. And it's also a movie of them producing a musical, but it is a musical or the musical cabaret, also a movie um, where although the, it's about the cabaret, all of the people are in a cabaret doing the cabaret in the film and play cabaret. So those are some easy, quick examples of where this concept really came from because you do go like wow these people are so creative and they are and like how do they come up with this but it's also interesting to see that a lot of the people who go on to write television shows and produce shows usually come from a drama theater background and they want probably want to play some homage to their roots and go we can also have kind of dramatic irony and these larger theater concepts in both animated and live action shows so without further ado we can get into our very long and lengthy but ever so awesome list of shows within a show daniel Hmm. kick us off okay obviously the first point to make here i think is a show within a show of a show that this show covered just a couple weeks ago Cowboy Bebop's The Big Shot, uh, which was a show that the characters of that series would watch in order to basically get, and and what we would watch with them, in order to basically get like expository information for for the episode at hand, uh, was a really fun, creative way to do that and did a lot of world building for the series Cowboy Bebop. Uh, So that was kind of like a a fun, inspiring sort of show within a show that had a lot of fun in itself. Uh, And and I I would say that a lot of these that we're going to cover do sort of like one of one of the um, one of the defining characteristics is that they have a lot of fun. They they poke fun either at the sort of uh, grander climate around the other shows at the time or or even their own show. And um, but yeah, Cowboy Bebop's. Uh, the big shot is definitely definitely topping or not just kicking off this list. Definitely kicking off this list. 
It reminds me in a weird way of like outside of shows within a show, there'll be like running characters that kind of give updates because the big shot really does give them updates on the bounty hunters and what they're doing. And it kind of in a weird way reminds me of like Gossip Girl (laughs) and how they all check the (laughs) website to see what's going on. And that's not a show within a show, but it's kind of a similar way where that vehicle is moving things forward because they'll kind of all pay attention to see like what's going on in the greater world of bounty hunters. And that also will impact sometimes their decisions on what they do within those episodes. Or sometimes they just, you know, comment on it and it's very funny. Yeah. Uh, Which ones uh, are are you looking at this week? So a big one on my list is 30 Rock. And all of the shows within a show on 30 Rock are ones that are like pretty much all aspects of an episode of 30 Rock. Ones that are not to be taken at surface value. So one of the first ones, which is very hilarious, very short, is Bitch Hunter. Bitch Hunter is pretty much Will Ferrell kicking down a woman's bathroom and cranking a shotgun saying, I'm Bitch Hunter, which is very offensive on many levels. Also very funny because it's Will Ferrell. And the reason they mentioned this show is because uh, Tina Fey's character, Liz Lemon, is kind of looking into how the girly show got on the air because a lot, a big big part of these shows within a show on 30 Rock is to show what networks are putting on to make money to put to allow for these like smaller creative like witty shows to get airtime which in a very meta way is also her kind of commenting on like 30 rock can only exist because other reality shows exist that pay the bills in some ways even though 30 rock did well in its own and it's pretty acclaimed critically acclaimed award-winning show but they also want to give some commentary on many other shows. So that's how that one starts out is they say, hey, the TGS, which is her kind of SNL show that she's doing on 30 Rock is the only reason it got on is because there was so much bad audience reception and like hate mail that they received from Bitch Hunter where it's like women are very upset about this show getting on the air. So they're like, we'll give them TGS, which is called The Girly Show. And it was originally kind of a very female driven sketch show that had some other characters in it. And then the kind of the whole first season of 30 Rock is them bringing Tracy Jordan, which is Tracy Morgan's character on it, to give it another voice and make it more of a, he kind of does a lot more kind of traditionally SNL characters, like he'll do these, yeah, just kind of robot characters or different commentaries. It's funny. And then they have Queen of Jordan. Queen of Jordan is like their Bravo version of a show within a show where it's Tracy Morgan's wife on the show well not tracy morgan tracy jordan it gets hard to go in between those two because they're very easy and they do it on purpose um so tracy jordan's wife on the fictional on the show has this reality tv show because basically she gets there's a certain episode where she's upset kind of at how much he's putting into work and she doesn't feel like she's getting as much out of his job because, and so then she kind of talks to Jack Donaghy, which is Alec Baldwin's character, who is, you know, like the head of GE. And they say he is the head of microwave and entertainment television division. And so, or cable te- television division. And so he gives her this reality show to be like, okay, you're upset and you want your own project. You can do this. And so it's her. It also has um titus playing defuan and he is also on there too and they kind of just do a lot of these like looking into the camera reality tv moves of like they they have like a clip where it goes through everyone just kind of looking in and going i know there's one where there's an older woman who is who does her entrance and says something like she's talking about how she's like yeah my ex-husband and his mistress don't know that i am the other mistress 
movies <laughs> and they just like bring in all of these kind of tropes of reality tv in each person so it's it's a fun spoof and then the last and most notable if you look into lists of shows within a show the one that seems to always hit the list is milf island <laughs> And MILF Island is an insane concept, and it is supposed to be taken as such. So this show is definitely put on 30 Rock to show the kind of trend in a lot of television at the time of you could make a show as ridiculous as you want for reality television, and it'll probably get like a ton of viewers, a lot of adoption by fans. And this one is supposed to be it's supposed to kind of be like survivor Mm -hmm. but then it just has a lot of like eighth grade (laughs) boys and then these like younger women (laughs) in bikinis that are doing these like obstacle courses and the boys are supposed to vote them in or out based on how they do on like a ropes course or a sword battle or whatever and it's supposed to make no sense whatsoever to show that fact and it's also funny because on 30 rock liz lemon's character will always walk into a room it's like all the writers are watching milf island and she's like disgusted with them being like how do you watch this junk but you know she'll do that and then kind of shove a bunch of cheetos in her mouth (laughs) and leave (laughs) so yeah it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good one if there's one to like watch a montage of clips i like i like uh, how we get an ending to milf island that's actually one of my favorite parts about it is if you watch all the clips it it does have a conclusion and some one of the competitors does win the show um yeah these these 30 rock ones are hilarious i have only and they even talk about like oh we should give her her own show now that she's won (laughs) which is something that happens with like people on the bachelor and stuff like that so it's a very smart show. I mean, kind of like the rest of 30 Rock again. It's a smart show for people who are paying attention to what's going on in TV. Because it's, if you think about when 30 Rock was on, like there was so much reality television that either started or kept going on from that point. It's, you know, hey, they have like keeping up with the Kardashians, you got right. John and 8 plus 8. Like it's just like reality TV was having a real moment. It still is now. But I feel like that was when it really kind of popped off and there weren't as many, you know, there's a lot of scripted shows as we've kind of gone through on this podcast itself that did not make it through those 2007 to 2009 years and the, you know, during the writer's strike years, the past a couple seasons. Right. All those reality shows got to bite at like real primetime, not summer slots. Yep. So they'd start them out and then, you know, they keep them going. So, yeah, 30 Rock is always side commentary on what's happening at NBC in a fictional spoof-tacular way. And I love it. But, yeah, if you watch the shows as standalone shows and you don't get the context of it, you might be a little confused on what you're watching. But it's, it's very good for lovers of the show. Daniel, what's another show within a show pick from your end? Okay, this is where it gets interesting because we can go in such a myriad of directions. So Um, many. There are shows that kind of fall under just the, uh, and TV Tropes tried to list this out into categories and uh, much much like how The Suitcase was listed, spot episode on uh, TV Tropes, which we get into uh, at another point. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that any of them fit, but the, I guess what they were trying to say is that there are there are some of these that sort of exist and, and the characters only seem to either be fans of them or, or sometimes mm-hmm. interact with them. I was curious. Uh, Community's Inspector Space Time was coming up on all these lists. Uh, yeah. I only watched like the first season and a half of Community. So... As we even do this show, and as community pops up on a on a lot of like TV discussion lists, I'm, yes. star- I'm starting to see some of the later jokes, and and this seems to be like one of the, one of the uh, more more prevalent ones. Uh, apparently, this is just sort of like a fun in universe Doctor Who. 
uh, which which works really well uh, because they'll they'll get some fun guest stars. Uh, a clip that I saw was was a really fun uh, Luke Perry kind of bit, and as it sort of builds up, eventually we do get to a point where we can uh, uh, where we follow the characters into a convention of uh, Doctor or Inspector Space Time. Uh, I think it's yeah. like season four. Then they're like getting into their Comic Con while also doing a very Comic-Con-like show. I yeah. like that. There's a lot of these shows within a show that are serving to reflect the actual show at hand. And an example of that from my list is, if you are a fan of The O.C., is on the show The O.C., they had The Valley. And I got this fun fact from an Entertainment Weekly article that was about the 10 best TV shows within a show. And... This one is The Summer, which is Rachel Bilson's character, is a huge fan of this show called The Valley, which is supposed to be a version of basically the OC, like taking place in an affluent community and kind of about the drama and relationships between characters. And it, But it takes place in the San Fernando Valley. If you're a SoCal native, you know this. Or if you've seen the Nicolas Cage film Valley Girl, you will know this too, um, for sure. So the Valley is on there as well. And what's funny from a production standpoint is that they would mirror any kind of issues they were having with the OC in the Valley. And they specifically say like, as they were working through some issues in their season two, they would show on the OC like, oh, the Valley's kind of working through some, you know, some kinks in its season two. <laughs> and so... I thought that was an interesting one that's like actually showing the mechanics of the show reflected within a show. Yeah. Yeah. That's and then another one that brings out a another way shows when a show can kind of live beyond the actual show is in Ugly Betty, which is a show based on a telenovela. And if you're not familiar, Ugly Betty is or Betty La Fea is about Betty Suarez, played by America Ferreira, and it's kind of her way of going through the publishing world. But in the context of show within a show, her family is obsessed with this telenovela called Vidas de Fuego, which definitely translates to like life of fire. <laughs> um, and every episode of the show is just like showing of Vida de Fuego is showing like a steamy affair between a priest and a maid. <laughs> wow <laughs> and it was so people found it so funny with it as a show within a show they actually did have it as a separate web series with different little webisodes on abc go when they were testing out what to do with these digital platforms as they were kind of getting expanded during this time as of now and much my digging throughout the interwebs it does not seem like you can find these episodes at this time since oh, no. ABC's website has changed. You have to a lot, watch Ugly Betty again and if, like sift. Through. Yeah, if you find That's these, if you hunt these down like a dog, please drop them into the chat, yeah, and I'd, I'd I will I will take a view because I am curious to see how they are. This is probably a good time to mention where some of these shows within a shows live for audience members like us in the real world. Uh, yeah, because that one's not available. Uh, we were looking at a ton, and and I do want to talk about like some others that kind of weren't available before we get into some more. Uh, mm. My understanding is uh, the first of I, I think two here is that Insecure has a lot of fun with this concept. Oh, yeah. Every season, they'll go ahead and they'll make a, a show within a show, a different one, and the characters will all be fans of that show. Uh, there, There's a couple here. There's Conjugal Visits, Due North, Kevin. Uh, Kevin is on HBO's official YouTube channel. Due North, wow. I believe, is listed as an official episode in season two at the very end. Uh, so I think that you might have to go to HBO Max to to watch that. Uh, and then similarly to another show within a show that's been lost to time. So I was reading up on The Man in the High Castle's Resistance Radio, uh, oh. which is a radio show within the show, yeah. much like, I guess, WKRP in Cincinnati, uh, I believe is the title, would have been a radio show within the show of that show, which was essentially the workers 
creating a radio show in Cincinnati. It's like a, from the 70s. It's ah. fantastic. Uh, but this one with uh, Man in the High Castle is that apparently they put all the episodes or, or they put some form of resistance radio on resistanceradio.com. If you were to go to that webpage as of the time this Primetime Party Time episode's recorded, uh, it redirects you to the Prime Video Season 1 page. And at the very bottom, there's an extra with like a music video and it uses snippets of a recording from Resistance Radio. But the actual Resistance Radio site no longer exists and who knows what they had on that site. Uh, who knows but how I will tell you is. this. I have not watched this show at all, Man in the High Castle. I should. Mm-hmm. I know it's good. However, as someone who really loves covers, I have listened to the Resistance Radio soundtracks on Spotify. Really? Because they put a lot of good covers together. So I would just be searching for things. And I also kind of just like like collecting compilations of like, oh, there's an album that has like a bunch of indie artists doing, you know, retro covers from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I like lap that up like honey. So I have found that. So, yeah, if you look for the resistant radio covers or if you look for up for things like The End of the World by, I think, Sharon Von Etten does a cover of that. I know that there's there's like a few of like they're very eclectic, not like eclectic. Well, they are eclectic covers, but they're very well-known 50s 60s 70s song and they have like a cover of like who's sorry now by angles and they're they're a lot of like brooding kind of uh they're called torch songs okay like a good way of okay. putting it because they're a lot of like and it makes sense knowing the tone of that show <laughs> right it's it's you know it's supposed to kind of comfort people in their blues so yeah, having not watched the show at all, I have listened. You listened. That's fun. So you know more about the show within the show than the actual show. Uh, that's hilarious. Point uh, for that. Speaking of these, uh, some that have really nothing to do with the main plot of the overarching series, uh, or maybe I do just want to call this one out. Did you ever watch Lost, specifically the infamous episode Expose? I watched a lot of Lost, but I have not. Weirdly enough, not one of the shows that I watch annually. So <laughs> I am not familiar with this particular episode. Expose is interesting because the, I think it was during the series' third season, um, this show within a show is shown in a flashback of one of the characters, Nikki, oh. uh, who she guest stars on this series. She ends up on the plane, and the episode basically follows her and Paulo, who were two extremely unpopular characters. And this episode basically goes... Uh, they they get introduced in the third season. There's really no build-up to them. Uh, and they're just kind of around. They're, and because they're like such late additions, even though they had supposedly been with the rest of the cast on the island the entire time, uh, it, mm-hmm. it probably confused viewers, and they were just kind of like, no, we don't buy this at all. Like, this is the, we, we don't believe this. Uh, the show quickly decides to erase them in this episode. And uh, their flashbacks it, are, are definitely, like, Nikki guest-starring on this sort of Charlie's Angels parody called Expose, uh, where Billy D. Williams plays the, uh, uh, the bad guy. And it follows them through a series of other flashbacks that show them in each sort of, like, major event throughout the first three seasons, which is something Lost would do often have a lot of fun with. Um, I think PMAC is posting in the chat right now. I remember they used the line bulletproof breast uh, and possibly expose. This was that kind of episode, yes. Uh, I will say this episode, uh, expose is shown sort of as an Easter egg uh, from my understanding in several other episodes on on TV sets in the background or, or through character dialogue. I think, uh, though... That isn't, this isn't exactly a show within a show, but while we are talking about Lost and while Expose does come up uh, in this conversation, one of my favorite Lost moments that doesn't quite qualify, but I just, there's no other place to talk about this and it's such a cool moment, is the protagonist of the show, Jack, his character is a Boston Red Sox fan and the plane crashes in September of 2004. Uh... And so time moves a lot faster, obviously, in the real world as we're getting episodes over three 
uh, years than it does on the island time, where it's only a few months to where he gets, spoilers for Lost, captured by the others at a certain point. And the others basically as a sort of way to convince him that they have uh, communication with the outside world is they show him that the Boston Red Sox go on to win the World Series. So the thing is, is like the Boston Red Sox are doomed, like they're cursed to never be able to win the World Series. So when the others show Jack the TV set that has the actual World Series of that year and they're winning while he's trapped on the island is what convinces him that, oh wow, these people do have access to the outside world. Like I should listen to what they have to say. And it's such a cool moment of this character watching this thing that is monumental one for the fans in the real world and and two to his fictional character at that timeline. Uh, That is like my favorite way that Lost did this. There's a couple where the shows within a show have really big significance on plot and character development. And one of my favorites show that I will always tout to watch is on Schitt's Creek. Um, Moira Rose's character is supposed to be, I mean, they have multiples because she's supposed to be the star from a fictional daytime show called Sunrise Bay. And so they will show clips of that or at least kind of like what she would do on that show. But the main thing they do is they have her, her main thing is she gets into this movie and it's supposed to be in Bosnia and it, and she makes it up to be a big thing, but it's supposed to somewhat be this low budget horror movie, but it's supposed to be directed by a director that say just pumped out a really big movie. Like they kind of make it seem like this guy just did like Avatar or like, you know, broke out and made a huge blockbuster. And so he goes to the set after she you know, gets her role and she's taking it like really, really seriously. And this guy who gets there is kind of being, you know, eh, it's like we're just cranking this movie to get it out. I kind of hope nobody sees it. And, you know, I wouldn't overthink this. This is just a job. And she kind of goes, I did daytime television, which is not something that, you know, everyone always regards as like this high art form. But she's like, I took every day seriously. I tried to make more of what I was given. And I ended up, you know, she says on the show, like she ends up winning like these awards and having certain acclaim. And she's like, it's all of what you make of your situation, which is like a bigger theme on the show of like these people going from riches to rags and having kind of a greater appreciation for what they do. So they show her, her original thing is she's giving some notes on the line she's given, which is a ballsy move (laughs) and, and something that is done. So eventually it happens and you see at the end of this episode, her do this really dramatic monologue as this woman turning crow monster, which is also hilarious because it's, Catherine O'Hara and definitely look it up but they also released a video on the Schitt's Creek YouTube channel that goes and they had a lot of if you watched these episodes on pop tv or a channel that hosted it they'd have afterwards this digest where all of the writers and kind of cast would chat and say like this is why we did these things in this episode which I think is really cool if you're into that And the bit on this one was they were saying, you know, we were thinking about this character's role and it's too big to only stay in this town because she was this actress that always, you know, she's eventually going to audition for things that are more than the local fruit wine commercial (laughs) that she does. And even that one, she gets so nervous about getting a couple of criticism at home that she kind of has a breakdown in the trailer as if she's like, shooting a really high profile movie and being this kind of over the top actress but then you're kind of looking at it hindsight after you see these other episodes and it's like it's because she takes every job seriously and treats everything like it's the biggest job she's ever gotten and gives it that respect even if it's something that someone else would be like oh well you know just kind of go through the motions and get through this and she kind of shows through this movie montage both by being really gregarious and like 
you know, ordering award dresses before a movie launch date has been aired and all these other kind of parts of her character that you are grown to love. But she also kind of is speaking some greater truths on how you should respect your work. So that is definitely a show within a show, though it is a movie within a television show, that I think is reflective of both the character's space and development throughout the series. Because towards the end of the season, she does get to have her like premiere and she has a plan to launch all these crows in the air, like how people launch doves. And it, of course, goes catastrophically wrong because oh. they are crows. <laughs> I, all so, right. I am sold. I am sold. I, I need to watch It's Creek. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, here's a series that has a bunch of them that made both of our lists. Arrested yes. Development. Of course. <laughs> uh arrested development what's the one that you had on yours or is it better for me to start with mine uh well okay uh this one's interesting because it kind of goes in 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 two different directions as far as uh so the one that i have is scandal makers uh which is (laughs) i think what tobias kind of sells the rights of the family to uh, yes. and they end up making a, an awful sort of uh, parody episode with, uh, as Ron Howard, I put it, bad narration. I couldn't tell if the, if, if, if it's interesting because this is, and I need to go back and watch Arrested Development now uh, because yes. I do remember this from the original run. And then I know in the later run of the series, the rights to the family sort of comes back and, and they kind of yeah. get into Michael's hands and they, and they try to, either make a, a movie or, or something op- different of Scandal Makers because the Scandal Makers episode had come out at this time. Uh, and so they they actually do try to swindle the rights of each individual family member to get something produced. Uh, <laughs> and, and it goes a little meta. Um, what was yours? Mine was called El Amor Prohibido. And it is the, the telenovela of Arrested Development that's called Forbidden Love and it stars Marta Estrella and that is a funny one because she's this love interest between Job and Michael and because neither of them know Spanish she'll always say something like I can't though because of Hermano and then Job's character will be like I gotta really figure out who this Hermano (laughs) you know taking Spanish class in like high school and watching these episodes as as some of the first episodes of Rest Development really helped sell the show Uh, it did they lined up the timing just right yeah right like for us on Netflix and we were in like level two Spanish and being like Oh my gosh, I can watch shows and understand more things. Yeah. And also, they did really funny things with that. that. I mean, the show is definitely likes to poke fun at a lot of Southern California isms. And so, yeah, watching telenovelas, knowing kind of basic Spanish that you throw into conversation sporadically, it's very much a a SoCal (laughs) pastime. So. Yeah, that one doesn't really develop the plot more so, except for when eventually the love triangle unravels a bit. That's right, kind of, it's kind of where that one gets. But, but that's a big fight it's outside. It's more the telling of just another Job and Michael showdown. Yeah, that's that's so funny. That's so early in the series too. I think. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, the, these shows within a show are fun. They they make me want to rewatch plenty. Uh, interesting one here that. Uh, well, you know what? No, I guess this brings us, let's do this. Let's do this. So Arrested Development with, with sort of that whole, uh, the rights to the individual family and making a show about the people within the show. Loosely, it might be a stretch. Um, but, but I do want to talk about, uh, my, one of my favorite episodes of of Seinfeld and I've really only seen a couple. I did like a Seinfeld boot camp one night. Uh, but, uh, one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld is when they try to produce Jerry, and it's a two-parter about the production of the Hilarious. pilot of Jerry. For um, yeah, this this one was great. They basically it's so ridiculously meta. Um, they cast it themselves. Is. They uh, they produce it themselves. They they give notes on themselves. Um, they cast what uh, the the they pitch it as the show about nothing. Um, yes, 
and we were just talking about this right before the shows. Uh, interestingly enough, it, it, unlike Seinfeld, which goes to air to too many of the success of the people involved, uh, Jerry gets axed after its first night um, on the air, which is fun because it has a bunch of supporting characters. It cuts a, a, to a bunch of supporting characters of the series watching this first episode. Um, it's, it's fun because a, a president comes in and basically gives them the call that the show has been axed uh, right after the pilot airs. One of the funny aspects of this show is like a lot of TV shows that get pitched, it makes it to pilot, but doesn't make it past there. The other thing is that when Seinfeld was getting pitched and I've read like a history of Seinfeld book, I'll have to dig up the title later. Uh, (laughs) Yes. I love Seinfeld so much, but I know kind of towards the beginning, it was, uh, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld worked on it a lot and they made the first episode. And I remember they both were kind of unsure of how it was going to go past then. And they were kind of like, are we even going to make it past the first season? I don't know. And then eventually it becomes like this biggest landmark show for all sitcom comedies, especially. And the kind of example of how a stand-up comedian can then get a show about themselves. And it's a as much as this it's a beloved concept we also have seen this concept you know try to get redone and not play out the same way but i think what we love about jerry's part on this show is like they'll even kind of go to the coffee shop and go remember that day and it's like they're recalling an episode like that could be an episode (laughs) you know and they're you know thinking of everyone who could be characters and it's you know it's very reflective of like obviously how they they've done their writer's room. Like if you think about, I've read some books that involve a lot of the sex in the city's writer's rooms. And they talk a lot about how a lot of those episodes are based on people's actual like dating histories and they'll, you know, fictionalize them past that. But like, it'll start from someone's like, I had this actual experience happen to me. And then with Seinfeld, you can only imagine that you're like, well, clearly all of these kind of like annoyances and grievances had to happen to someone and then they kind of have this ending where it's like you know someone always gets theirs at the end of the episode or it comes back to bite them but and that's exactly what happens with jerry they pitch this show and it ends up flopping but they wanted to be this like show about nothing it was like such a george costanza type thing (laughs) like make the show and it'll just be about about nothing just and yeah and when you think of like them going on later to make curb and then on curb they actually have things like the seinfeld reunion happening on that show and that's weird because it's like a real show (laughs) in a show and that's where there's this famous line about uh there's a specific episode where the reunion happens and julia louis dreyfus character comes to larry david's house and he accuses her of not using a coaster on his wooden table. And he goes to like a bunch of people throughout the party. Like, do you respect wood? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I do. <laughs> so yeah, many a shows within a show. I mean, I think the most famous one that many people would think of is the itchy and scratchy show which it's hard for me to read out loud without saying the itchy and scratchy show <laughs> for me to hear it uh <laughs> my understanding I, I i read this and I'm, I'm not i'm not sure this is a show within a show within a show this is originally yeah. aired within the crusty the clown show airing on the mm-hmm. simpsons that's wild um yeah i haven't they have a lot seen itchy in scratchy in a long time is it like tom and jerry mixed with happy yeah. tree friends okay yeah okay. that's a really good metaphor or okay. kind of mishmash of these shows because it is tom and jerry but instead of it being this like stoic cat and mouse chase it's like they obliterate each other in every episode <laughs> in really violent ways similar to happy tree friends <sighs> Yeah, yeah, this is many nightmares from those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, itchy and scratchy is is one of those that's like really interesting to to just read up on. I mean, it has what almost forty years of history or something like that. Yeah, uh, at this, this point. point. 
Um, yeah. And it started pretty early into uh, The Simpsons' run, basically, as, as a way to sort of pad out episodes and then as a way to sort of say things and, and, and put commentary into The Simpsons. Uh, I, th- I think that there's a 1990 episode that's pretty famous for that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I also like that there's sort of like a... I was reading about it today and there there was a century long like history that mirrors Disney and the Mickey Mouse um and all these parody uh, movies that they might have been a part of and stuff like that it just co- sort of seems like the seminal show within a show it's long running it has value yeah. and purpose in the production process and allows the simpsons to tackle subjects that maybe they i mean i don't know the simpsons can give themselves whatever avenue they want to talk about whatever they want uh but True. this is kind of like a, a way to maybe look inward or something uh, yeah, the yeah, this one's this one's interesting and definitely um definitely like probably the the one one of the most famous uh one of yeah. the seminal ones. Definitely. And then one of the historical ones that we had on our list is if you've watched the Dick Van Dyke show either because you like old television or you were inspired by some of the references on WandaVision, um the Alan Brady show was a show that the Dick Van Dyke character was a television writer for that show. And then, yeah, deep on the tvtropes.org site, they also said that the show Mad About You references the show because I want to say that they're all Carl Reiner. Right. Uh, I'm reading right now that he appears as Alan Brady on Mad About You. Uh, this That's is interesting. Right. This gets into crossovers. This gets into sort of the like the snow globe theory, which is a whole other topic. It doesn't get into it, but it, it's alongside it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, that one's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Alan Brady exists in Mad About You, then I suppose his show would. Um, yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. It's a show within two shows. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Um, I quick shout outs to uh, Pawnee today. You heard with Purd. <laughs> Um, those kind of shows that you, that you see in, in series and especially like the, the, the fun ones that are just sort of like satirical versions of towns and, and local television, especially, uh, oh, yeah. you kind of, like the... oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. you just kind of love those. What were you going to say? I was going to say that reminds me of, I think this can be the one we wrap up our shows within a show about, but it's definitely one worth matching is party monster scratching the surface. What? And it's within Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. They devoted an entire episode to the, as Entertainment Weekly states, a full episode to this mockumentary directed actually by the documentary Now. <laughs> oh! Uh, that writes Thomas, which follows DJ <laughs> Fingerblast on a quest to find his childhood hero, DJ Slizzard. And you do find out that it ends up being John Hamm's fictional character who is the uh the reverend in the bunker was also once a dj wow and yeah i think they're also trying to kind of this one is you know to kind of take you on this wild journey to finding the reverend but it's also doing a bit of a spoof on the dj films that were coming out at that time because there were a few of those rattling around and yeah as another tina fey produced show i think they're like oh we can't help but do this now and it's also it's also a very funny concept but yeah that was a documentary within a show so within the show within a show category we got a lot of variety here we have you know cartoons we have movies documentaries telenovelas other dramas, mirrors. And if you want more shows within shows, uh, a bunch of shows are made about making shows. Uh, Stuff like recently The Morning Show, a couple Aaron Sorkin projects, I think. Uh, Studio City on the Sunset Strip, which I don't know much about, uh, but counts. Um, Yeah, those kind of shows. Uh, As for this show, Primetime Party Time, that's it for us tonight. Thank you for joining us. The show could could not have been made without the following amazing people. We're talking our artwork uh, by Fen at Fen Latte on Instagram. Theme song by Jay Wright at Jay Wright. Music.com uh, website done uh, by Coco. 
And uh, you can find previous episodes of us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Hit us up by sending us an email at info at ptptshow.com on our voicemail on the homepage or in the chat box on the ptptshow.com homepage if you just want to rant, roast, or rave with us. And of course, listen back here next Monday at 9 p.m. for another prime time party time. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Like We didn't mention iCarly, but that probably counts. Um, oh, yeah. iCarly totally counts. Mary Tyler Moore. There's so many. There's, There's so, so many. many. If you leave your voicemail, you might make it into a show within our show. Real quick, so did you have a? Happened. We finally had our show with many technical with <laughs> many tech problems. Uh, real quick, did you have a favorite show within a show? Favorite show within a show is definitely uh, probably Queen of Jordan. Probably it is. Yeah, okay, it's all right. Too close between that. And <laughs> we had a we had a queen we had a Queen of Jordan uh, fan in the in in the chat room uh, with just the facts. Uh, yeah, yeah, Queen of Jordan uh-huh. was a good one. Milf Island was a journey. Uh, recency bias, but uh, the the big shot was I don't know, it's just so useful to the show. Um, oh and, yeah, and Jerry it is, is uh, can't not shout that one great. out for the final. Yeah, a lot of the shows within a show shows like they uh, exhibited themselves as oh wow these are like a lot of my favorite shows because they do too much writing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so I'm a huge fan.